Welcome to the OCC Podcast. Whether you're listening to this at home, on the road, at work, or in the gym, we're so glad you decided to join us as we study God's Word together. We hope and pray that through this ministry, you will grow in your relationship with God as well as become a chair for disciple maker. But for now, sit back and let us help you see how the Bible applies to your life today. Amen. Good morning. Oh my goodness, Thomas. It's good to be here. It's so exciting. I'm glad you guys are here. Welcome if you're sitting in the room. Welcome if you're watching this on your phone by a tree while you're hunting. I know there's <laughs> folks are going to be doing that as well, and that is okay. Either way, we're glad you're here. My name is James. I'm the senior pastor here at OCC, and we are going to study the Bible together today. We are working through the book of Ruth. We just started last week, so if you missed last week, we didn't, didn't miss too much, and we'll try and catch up. But grab your Bible. Join me there if you would. We're going to be in Ruth chapter 2 today. Last week, we met two of the three main characters in this study. We met a lady named Naomi. We met a younger girl named Ruth. Today, we're going to meet a guy named Boaz. And from everything we can tell out of what we see in Scripture, Boaz is a really good guy. Boaz is a super solid citizen. He, he demonstrates the qualities we just saw on that video. Even though he's a wealthy guy, he doesn't worship his wealth. Boaz is generous. God is out there being using Boaz to help people. And, and so it's an amazing thing. And we're going to see this unfold over the next few weeks. But let me start, like I said, with kind of a quick review in case you missed last week. Chapter 1, there was a famine that hit this area, Bethlehem, that was normally associated with God's provision. Bethlehem means house of bread, and at this time there was no bread. Now, there was a pretty clear reason for the famine, and we correlated this in the book of Judges. At that time, people were doing just whatever was right in their own eyes. People were not seeking hard after God's will. They were doing what they wanted to do, and, and so they weren't turning to the Lord. And so God kind of withheld his provision from Bethlehem because he's wanting to steer people back towards recognizing his authority. It was during this time we met a guy named Elimelech. His Hebrew name translates to mean, my God is king. But Elimelech makes some choices that doesn't act like he believed his God was king. He picked up his family, picked up his wife, picked up his two sons. His wife was named Naomi. Naomi means sweet and pleasant. And he took his two Klingon boys, Malon and Kilion. Their names literally translate to mean sick and dying, so that's not a good sign, right? And they loaded up the truck and moved to Beverly, right? They, they loaded up the donkey and moved to Moab. And they arrived in Moab, and things went south in a hurry. <laughs> Elimelech died, okay? Sick and dying, they died. But not before they had the chance to marry a couple of the local girls, some Moabites named Orpah and Ruth. And now all the men die. They've got these three widows, Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. And so Naomi makes this hard decision after being away for 10 years. She's going to return to the place that was typically associated with God's presence. She's going to return to the place of God's people. She's going to return to the place that now, again, God is providing in that area. House of bread will have bread. So Naomi and Ruth go back. Orpah goes and starts a TV network, I think. No, that's Oprah again, yeah. Uh, but, but Ruth, she makes a profession in the God of Israel, and she makes this pledge to stay with her mother-in-law, Naomi, because Naomi was so much fun to be around. No, that's, <laughs> that's wrong. <laughs> Throughout this 10-year period, Naomi, it turns out, she gets really, really bitter, right? She's really angry. She blames God for all her troubles, so much so that she changes her name. If you remember her name, Naomi, meant sweet and pleasant. She changes her name to Mara. It means bitter. 
just a bitter old woman. So she arrives in Bethlehem with this Moabite, Ruth, who is despised by the people there, and they kind of rile everybody up because nobody had seen Naomi for like 10 years. When they they last saw her, she had a husband, she had two sons. She comes back with no husband, no sons, and this Moabite woman that God's people were supposed to avoid. The Moabites were on the bad list. They actively worshiped false gods. They actively declared curses against God's people. So lots of drama there in chapter one. But we were introduced to Naomi and Ruth. As we start chapter two, we're gonna meet this really good man. His name is Boaz. So if you have your Bible, join me there, Ruth chapter two. If not, we'll have it here on the Sky Bible. Let's start in verse one. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's. He was a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And so Naomi said to her, go, my daughter. So Ruth set out. And she went and she gleaned in the field after the reapers and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, this guy who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now I love this because we've already said the names mean so much here in the book of Ruth. And this is a good name, Boaz. He's described as a worthy man. His name literally means strong man, okay? And I don't think we're supposed to get like the idea of the power lifter or bodybuilder or whatever. He's just a guy with a ton of godly character. We're going to see this play out. But, but this is great. Ruth shows up, and she goes to what would be the present-day equivalent. Like She goes to a food bank, right? She shows up in Bethlehem. She's going to go get some food for her and Naomi. And that's great, but this is actually an answer to prayer that we saw back in chapter 1. Naomi had prayed for Ruth. Naomi had a bunch of issues. We get that. She throws God under the bus. She's bitter and angry. She's a bad evangelist, but she's still praying. Do we remember her prayer from last week? She prayed for her two daughters-in-law. She says, she prayed, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you've dealt with the dead and with me. And here's a big prayer. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. This is foreshadowing, but I don't want to jump too far ahead. So Naomi is praying for Ruth, praying for Orpah that God will provide for them. She's praying that God will take care of them. And here God does that. He he does it with his invisible hand of providence, like we talked about last week. And I don't want to speed by this. I want to camp here for a second, because I think verse three is supposed to be funny, and we might have missed it because we read an English translation. But if we read this in the Hebrew, what we see there is happen to come to the field that Boaz owns. That's funny to me, because there's no happen to come, right? God is sovereign over this. In the Hebrew, this kind of literally translates to mean as luck would have it, right? And that's not the way this works. We know the steps God has gone to to orchestrate to make sure this happens, that Ruth comes back to Bethlehem. She needs to be part of this story because she's going to be King David's great-great-great-grandma, right? So, so there's no luck involved here. And, and luck's a weird thing. We talk about it. I use the term sometimes. But I really don't believe there is any luck, I know there's a sovereign God of the universe who's in charge of everything, but but we talk about that. I got a lucky charm or or we catch a lucky break, right? I used to play golf with a friend of mine and he was a a really good golfer and I'm not. And and so he'd get up on the tee box every time and he'd tee up and he'd dress his ball and he'd take a swing and he'd hit it and he'd yell, get lucky. And I was like, you don't need to yell. (laughs) Your ball goes down the middle all the time. I need to yell when I stand up, but you're fine, right? You don't have to get lucky. But, But we talk about luck that way. Because there's really no way for us to wrap our mind around God's sovereignty. There's no good luck or bad luck. There's a loving God in charge of everything. 
working all things together for good for those who love him, for those who called according to his purpose. But we're too finite to grasp how that is, how that works. So we introduce luck into the equation. But Ruth happening to come to Boaz Field, that's not random chance. That's God's providence. Now, it's not the visible hand of God like we talked about last week. She didn't get a burning bush that led her to that field or whatever. This is the invisible hand. And we see God provide, as I said we would throughout the story. And honestly, if we're really paying attention, that's how we normally see God provide in our lives. But we miss it a lot. And I know why. It's because we're driving along and we want to see it play out on the windshield in front of us. We want to see every step so clearly. But it doesn't work that way. Almost any of the time. What happens so much of the time? We drive and we drive and we drive. And then later we look back in the rearview mirror and we see how it all played out. And we went, oh, oh, now I get it. Now I see God put me there on purpose. God allowed me to go through those things because he's in charge. He's directing every step of our actions. It's really helpful for us to, to grasp that and remember that. Because a lot of times we end up asking that question. We end up in a tough spot and we go, hey, hey, where are you, God? because we don't see his visible hand of miracle working and we really want one, right? And we got to remember, look in the rear view and say, oh, God's invisible hand of providence protection might be working right here. That's what's happening with Ruth. And like I said, best analogy I can come up with is this poor, broke, hungry girl shows up and she wanders over to the food bank. And what are the odds? You know, the food bank is owned and operated by a distant relative of the father-in-law that she never met. Now, we spent a lot of time last week talking about Naomi, talking about all her struggles. We really didn't focus on Ruth's struggles, did we? Talked about her conversion story, which I think was amazing, but she made the choice to follow Naomi's God, to follow the God of Israel. But we should have spent more time talking about Ruth. She's a phenomenal example in this story. She's supposed to be an example for all of us, but especially for young, single Christian women, who I mentioned a couple weeks ago don't seem to be flocking to the church here in America or literally across the world, right? Many young people are leaving the church. They're not rushing to the church. Many young women are moving away from the church and moving in with their significant other. They're not desiring to follow God, not desiring to follow his plan. And here we see Ruth, and, and on the surface we go, well, I bet she's not going to be a good example, right? From the wrong side of the tracks. Lady got a lot of baggage, right? She's from wrong spiritual background. She's from a race of people who worship a false god. Look her up on Ancestry.com and you see Lot and you're like, oh, this is going to be bad. <laughs> but, but that's what's happening, right? All this baggage. It looks like she might be barren. She was married. She has no children. And so you take all that and you sprinkle on top of that ice cream sundae. She's poor and broke, homeless, right? And you go, I don't think she's going to be a good role model. No. She is. <laughs> She's a phenomenal role, role model because with all these trials, she doesn't wander down a bad path. She didn't end up down a sinful path. She doesn't become bitter like Naomi. Instead, she clings to her bitter friend, likely her only friend, and she supports her. And Ruth is willing to work hard to address her situation because she sees that God will provide. And so her faith is active. She's not passively sitting around waiting for God to show up. She's joining in the work. So when we think about Ruth as an example, I, I think she's a great one. And I'll admit, this is kind of tricky, this notion of, well, how do we do that? How am I supposed to wait on God and still be involved? I don't Because I don't want to get out in front of him, right? How do I play that part? What does it look like to be active in our faith? 
It's a real question. I heard about a guy and he graduated college after, you know, nine and a half years or however long. And then after graduating college, he's supposed to go out and get a job and, you know, find a spouse and move forward in life. Instead, he moved back into his parents' basement, as it seems like a lot of kids are doing, right? And so he's down there, it seems like in the basement, playing video games all day and then watching Netflix till four in the morning and ordering pizza every night. And his parents, although they love him, are kind of getting frustrated, right? Like, hey, shouldn't you be out getting involved? Shouldn't you be out looking for jobs? Shouldn't you be out trying to find a spouse? And, and so one night, you know, the pizza comes, the front door, and the kid wanders upstairs, and he asks his parents for some money to pay for the pizza, and they kind of snap. They finally lose it. Like, what are you doing? What, what are you doing with your life? What's your strategy? Aren't you supposed to be looking for a job? Are you supposed to be looking for a spouse? And he says, I am. How? <laughs> he says, well, every day when I call the pizza place, I ask if they're hiring. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's enough. <laughs> I think we need a little more out of you. And, and even if you were looking for a job that way, how are you looking for a spouse? He goes, well, after I hang up, I pray that instead of a pizza guy, it'll be a hot pizza delivery girl. God doesn't seem to be answering that prayer. But <laughs> how do we get more involved, right? Well, Ruth is our example. She's active in her faith. And we actually got a glimpse of it in verse 2, but it was so quick we might have missed it. Because she went to Naomi and she said, please let me go to the fields. Let me go to the food bank. I want to be putting in the work. I want to be gleaning the fields. And gleaning is, is probably a lot of farmers here. We understand what gleaning is. Gleaning is truly the process of gathering bit by bit. We use it in a different context today. We talk about it in research or study. I'm gleaning information. I'm gathering bit by bit information. But here, what was happening was the folks who were gleaning would go in after the workers had come through the field, and they would take what was left. And, and there's a neat biblical provision for that. And in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus, it talks about leaving the margins. You, you'd pick through the middle of the field, and you'd leave the stuff on the outside. And it's truly leaving the margins for the marginalized, because God has a huge heart for poor people. They can come in and glean the fields, have something to eat. And that's what Ruth is doing. And so she says, I want to do that. Uh, and I'm going to go out and not just glean. I'm going to be looking for someone who could show me favor. And that's a beautiful word, the Hebrew equivalent of grace. Ruth says, I want to go out and find that grace. God's the one who's going to provide the favor, but I want to go out and be active in seeking it. See the Tom Hanks movie from several years ago, Castaway? Do you remember that one? Winds up stranded on the desert island, and he's there like three or four years so long that he makes friends with a volleyball, and it's a weird deal. But, but he's been there so long, and he realizes, hey, this is not the place, right? <laughs> I'm not going to be rescued here, and, and we're not created to be alone. I wish that movie had more of a direct spiritual tone, but, but we're not supposed to be alone. And so do you remember what he does? Through God's invisible hand of provision, a piece of wreckage floats up that he can use to make a sail, and he leaves the island where he's safe, but alone, and you remember what he does? He puts himself out in the middle of the ocean. Now, why would he do that? Because the ocean is where the ships go by. <laughs> he had to put himself in the path of the ships. What he was doing? He was putting himself in the spot where he would find favor. That's what Ruth does here. She doesn't say, well, I'm going to sit at home in the basement and order pizza and, and just look for God's favor. No, I'm going to go out and join in. I'm going to be active in my faith. Now, that is a good example for all of us, but it's phenomenal for Ruth because I'm thinking she could be pretty pessimistic, right? Poor, hungry, broke widow from a despicable land with a bitter old woman as a mother-in-law. If she is sitting in the basement and creating her dating profile, it's not looking good, right? 
Now, I will say this as I was gleaning information. See what I did there about the Moabites? As I was learning about the Moabites, there were several commentaries I read that said the same thing. The people who were Moabites actually were very physically attractive people for whatever reason. It's weird coming from an incestuous relationship. So there's this probability that Ruth is really a looker, like she might be really attractive. I still don't know if it helps on the dating site because I think if she's posing for a picture, Naomi's probably in the background. <laughs> Somebody looks at the picture and is like, no, nah, I'll pass on that. <laughs> I think the mother-in-law comes with that one. I'll just pass. But, but here's the deal, right? With her situation, Ruth could be pessimistic. And she's not. From everything we see, she's genuinely optimistic. And not in that, you know, kind of annoying way where somebody goes, well, if God closes the door, he opens a Chick-fil-A or whatever, you know, sometimes those people are annoying. But <laughs> Ruth isn't sugarcoating the fact that things have been rough up to this point. She just appears to be actively trusting that God's going to provide. She's going to experience God's grace, his favor. So she's a great role model. She's a new God-fearer, but boy, she's an active one. She's faithful really clings to this idea that God has a plan for her. He will show her favor if she just puts herself in that path of grace. So that attitude, those actions in Naomi's prayer set up the scene for us to be introduced to Boaz, and that happens in verse four. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, this is awesome, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. And I want to pause there for a second because we probably don't recognize that. It seems liturgical almost. That's the way the temple services ended back in the day. The priest would stand up and say, the Lord be with you. And the people would holler back at him. And so really, it's a great insight. Boaz kind of treats his business like a ministry. He has like a little mini praise and worship session with his people as he, as he shows up. I think that's phenomenal. Verse 5. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers uh, answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. That's what makes you a Moabite. And Ruth said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So this is the kind of manager Boaz is. He does that management by walking around thing. He just kind of shows up and he walks around to see what's going on. And he's checking in with people and he notices, here's a young woman I have not seen before. So he goes and he asks the question that we would ask, who's responsible for her? Who's, who does that young lady belong to? And the department manager gets Ruth's identity from the one thing that everybody did. They said, oh, she's that Moabite woman. But here she is in the field benefiting from the fact that Boaz is a good guy. Boaz is a generous guy. So he runs his business kind of like a food bank. He, he listens to that instruction in Leviticus that says you can do this. Don't clear your whole field. Leave some for the marginalized. And so this practice of gleaning, that's a way that God uses his invisible hand to provide. And to me, it's a genius idea because it's better than a handout. Like, if you benefit from gleaning, you still have to go put in the work, right? There's still dignity with that. You're not just holding up the sign and begging. You're, you're working hard. So Ruth is gleaning, but she's also learning. She's learning that material provision comes from God. Material provision is a spiritual matter. God is the one who's actually providing. He's just using Boaz because he's a good business owner. He leaves the margins. If you think about it, I mean, he's literally letting people eat into his profits because that's stuff he could pick and sell or eat. But he does this as an exceptional way to show he cares for people. 
He's going to use the blessings God gives him to provide for others. Boy, there's some application there. I hope we remember that when we're making decisions about how we're going to steward the finances God blesses us with. Because I know you've heard me say this before. Many times God might bless us financially, but it's not to augment our standard of living. It's to augment our standard of giving. We might really be able to bless someone else. Boaz is a great example here. He's just a vehicle of God's love and favor and grace and provision. So don't miss this. Great examples. Ruth for the women, our strong man, Boaz for all the guys. And, and I mentioned this last week. Like if you're pregnant with child and you're gonna have a boy and you're looking for a good name, Malon and Kilion, not good names. Boaz, strong name, solid name. James, also a good biblical name. But Bo- just saying, Boaz would be a great name. He's a guy who loves people and uses money, okay, as opposed to the other way around. Sometimes we really mess that up. We love money and we use people. Boaz doesn't do that. So he's a man who's going to be a source of provision and protection and production. The provision, he uses the resources God gives him. The protection, we're going to see here in a second. And we see he produces. He gets things done. He's actively running this business. So he doesn't put products in front of people because as he's doing it, he cares for his employees. We see that. And so he shows up at the field looking around. He's going to have this little meet cute moment with Ruth. If this was a romantic comedy, he'd trip over in the field or something like that. But, but he sees her in the field and meets her and he's observant, right? He says, hey, who's that in the field? And again, it could be she's a real hot ticket, but, but he notices her and now he's gonna speak to her. This is their meet cute, starts in verse eight. Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. His employees are in the field. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And I don't know that this is a dead giveaway or whatever, but I'm thinking Ruth might be attractive. And he said to the young guys, hey, be good with her, okay? (laughs) Keep her safe. Keep her protected. Not for sure. I don't want to read too much in. And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And this is her response in verse 10. I love this. (laughs) She fell on her face bowing to the ground, and she said to Boaz, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Isn't that our testimony? Boaz answered her, all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you left your father and mother in your native land, you came to a people that you didn't know before. I love verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you've done. A full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then Ruth said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me. You've spoken kindly to your servant. I'm not one of your servants. Man, I love Boaz. I I think he's a superhero. But there's a better word. There's a more descriptive word. Boaz is safe. He's safe. Sometimes in this life we get in trouble because we don't hang out with safe people. You notice that? Spawned that age-old question, why do good girls like bad boys? Which is not a rhetorical question. Seriously, why do they? Because because sometimes, like, that guy's not safe. That guy's dangerous to be with. There are bad boys out there. There's bad girls out there too. But, But this is an important application question then for us as Christ followers. Are we safe? Are we good for people like that? Are we always looking out for the best interests of others? Boaz is. He starts this conversation, and we get confirmation right away. He's a good dude. He calls Ruth daughter. Now, why would he call her daughter? 
I'm thinking that's, that's how God would address her. That's how her heavenly father would call her out. And Boaz has this father's heart. He looks at this girl and he doesn't see the poor widowed you know, woman from a despised race with baggage out in his field. No, he just sees her the way God sees her. Now we can correlate this because there's a scene in the Gospels that you probably remember. It shows up in all the synoptic Gospels. There's this woman who has an issue with blood. She's bleeding. And she's been bleeding for like 12 years. And she hears that Jesus can heal her, right? And so by faith, she shows up and there's this huge throng of people. And she reaches out. Do you remember as Jesus goes by? And she just touches the, the bottom of his robe, his cloak. And she's healed. Do you remember that scene? Do you remember what Jesus said to her? We correlate this in Matthew. And Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. Daughter, that's how Boaz addresses Ruth. Why? Because he's safe. And he proves that he's concerned for her safety. He says, stay here in my field. Stay here in my business where I start the day with a little mini worship service. Stay here where my employees can look out for you. Eat this food that I've provided. Drink this water that I've provided. My employees are safe. I've instructed them to, to look out for you. The guys are going to be extra safe with you. I love this. He says, these women who work for me, you should hang out with them. They could be your friends. How many friends does Ruth have? One, and she's the bitter old lady, right? How, how great for her, a girl of her age, to go, man, I could have friends? Boaz just oozes all this character. He's strong, as his name indicates, but he's soft when he needs to be. He calls Ruth daughter. He's generous. We see that for sure. This is such a great application for us. Are we generous across the board? Not just with money. I mean, that's a great way to start, but, but we need to be discerning. Are we generous with our words? Do we encourage people? Do we compliment people? Do we pray for people? Boaz just met this girl. He prays for her. It doesn't have to just be money. Are we generous with our time and our talents? If somebody has a need and we think, well, gosh, I could help with that, do we do that because that would be the best for somebody? I say that in light of the fact that I moved yesterday into the parsonage here, and there's no way it would have happened without this church. People who love to paint came and painted. People who love to hang lights came and did that. A guy rented me a, didn't rent me, gave me a box truck to use with a lift gate. That's the way to move. It was all this incredible stuff because people were generous with their time and talents. Generous people make the best friends. Amen. Because <laughs> they're always looking out for others. It's a beautiful thing. So Boaz meets Ruth the first time and he prays for her right away. Don't miss that in verse 12. He says, may the Lord reward your work. He's basically saying, I've heard about you. I've heard your story. I mentioned this last week. We said every time Naomi goes to Costco, somebody runs into her and they ask about her story. Hey, where's your husband? Where's your sons? And then they ask, and why'd you bring that Moabite girl? I don't think Ruth's going around her telling her story. Nobody's talking to Ruth, right? They're giving her the cold shoulder. But Naomi's telling the story about how amazing Ruth is. No, no, she left her place. She came with me. She said she's going to stay with me. said my God would be her God. My people would be your people. She said she's going to die here with me. And she's really pumping Ruth up. She's telling these great stories about how selfless she is. And Boaz has heard that. So here in his first interaction with her, he says, I'm proud of you. Good job, sis. You're doing the right thing, right? He's encouraging her. Now, church, if we know somebody like that, we are blessed. It is so wonderful to have an encourager in your life. 
The apostle Paul had an encourager, and he's a guy we've heard of in scripture, Barnabas, right? Remember him? That was his role. He came along. Well, do you know Barnabas is what we call him? That wasn't his real name. That guy was a Levite from Cyprus. His real name was Joseph. But he was so good at what he did. He was such a phenomenal encourager, they gave him that name. Barnabas literally means son of encouragement. It's a great nickname. It's better than sick and dying, right? Are we doing this? Are we looking for opportunities to encourage people in this life? Without a doubt, you've noticed we got a bunch of projects that we're working on around the church, and we're so blessed. And, and so there's a huge project here in the worship area. We're just kind of wrapping up a huge project down in Children's. And I, like a really smart guy, kind of started those and went on sabbatical. I was like, see ya. And then, <laughs> so I thought that would work out well for me. But, but we were in staff meeting the other day, and I was really trying to praise Brenton. I was trying to praise Wesley for how great they've been in managing these projects. I was praising Forrest, too, because Forrest picked up a lot of the slack while I was gone. But in those, we've had setbacks, as you're going to have with some stuff. We've had issues with engineers and inspections and stuff like that. And, and so Brenton and Wesley were a little discouraged. And I was trying to encourage them. I was like, I think you guys have been phenomenal. You've been great stewards. You're trying to stay on budget. You've been flexible. I, I just really wanted to encourage them, right? And I might have gone over the top because I thought they were a little discouraged. So I got done, and there was like a couple seconds of silence, and then Brenton went, thanks, Dad. You know? <laughs> And then I didn't feel like encouraging him anymore, and I fired him. I <laughs> but Erlene talked me off the ledge, so he was here this week. It's great. But, but, but that's the deal. Are we encouraging like that? That's what we want to do, right? Are we looking to be encouragers? Boaz certainly does. Boaz is an encourager. Ruth has this active faith. Boaz is active in his prayer. Are we being like Boaz? He prays for God to reward Ruth, and then he does an amazing thing. He steps up to dispense the reward. He was the one who prayed, but he's also the one who answered the prayer. There's another great application point. God's sovereign. He's in control of all things, but as we're out praying for people, are we discerning about what part we can play? A lot of times we pray, well, God's will be done. What if God's will is for us to answer that prayer? <laughs> Sometimes we don't like that as much. Boaz is going to do this for Ruth. And there are situations where that makes a ton of sense. Just think, I mean, how weird would it be if I went up to my wife, if I went up to my kids and said, man, I'm praying for you to feel loved and blessed. I'm not going to do it, you know, but I'm praying that that's going to happen for you, but I don't want to engage in that, right? No, that's my job. Yes, it's, a, it's wonderful that I'm praying it, but I need to be the one to bless them. I need to be the one to shower love on them. I need to use all the resources and time and talent and treasures that God gives me to be an answer to the prayer that they feel loved and blessed. That's my role. So Boaz approaches Ruth and he prays for her. And her response is amazing. In verse 13, she says, thank you. Thank you. That, that's phenomenal, kind, strong stranger. And then she says, you have comforted me and you've spoken kindly to me. Now, those are pretty generic words, but you got to think about how huge this is for her. Because she rolled into town and nobody, I mean nobody, rolled out the welcome wagon for her. How many kind and comforting words do you think she's heard since she arrived in Bethlehem? People would not talk to her. They, they, they certainly wouldn't address her behind her back. Why did this Moabite woman come here? Those are bad people, right? Boaz comes up to her and comforts her. And man, does she need it. We talked so much last week about Naomi's struggles. Ruth's lost a husband. Ruth had to leave her hometown. Ruth's broken hungry. Think she's in need of comfort? 
Boaz provides it. Well, God provides it, but he does it through Boaz. But that's his MO. He makes sure that all his employees are taken care of. He's a provider. And he's observant. He's looking for opportunities. Another great application for us. Are we doing that? Are we looking for people that we could speak kind words to, that we could be a comfort to? Probably thinking about this more in my situation with moving yesterday in the, the moving van at my old house and at my new house. If somebody moves into our neighborhood, don't you know they're praying this prayer if they're Christ followers? Man, I hope I have great neighbors. Man, I hope I have folks that, that I'll feel safe around. Man, I hope I have people my kids can play with. What if we're supposed to be the answer to that prayer? <laughs> As the moving truck rolls in, do we go over and say kind words, comforting words, encouraging words? Do we have our eyes open, our ears open for those kind of situations? We could be the ones to provide the comfort and the encouragement. And if God uses us like that, then we're following Boaz's example. Because he did that and beyond. And the last point on your outline, Boaz was always, always pointing to God. He was a strong man. He was a wealthy man. But he was also a humble man. He just wanted God to get the glory. Now, is that our routine practice? Or when God uses us to meet a need or encourage somebody, do we break our own arm, patting ourselves on the back? Boaz doesn't seem to do that at all. He didn't paint himself out to be a savior or deliverer, although God is going to use him mightily in that direction. No, he points immediately to the God of Israel. Did you catch that in verse 12? He points to God. He says, the Lord repay you for what you've done. A full reward be given you by who? The Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. I think that's such a beautiful picture, and we can't miss that. We take refuge under his wings. You can't read that and not think of the mama bird that lays its wings out and comes and protects her, her little babies, right? It's such a beautiful picture. Well, that's the way God wants to protect us. That's the way God wants to take care of his spiritual babies, we saw this in Luke whenever we were there years ago. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood where under her wings and you were not willing. This idea of doing what is right in our own eyes, kind of timeless, isn't it? Here in Ruth, God wants to protect he wants to provide for Ruth. The literal wings that she's going to be under are Boaz's, but honestly, they belong to God. Boaz is a strong man, but he's a gentleman. He's tough and he's tender. I honestly don't know how this guy is still single. If he was on a dating site, I think he's getting picked up. But, but the thing to notice is he's not a pastor. He's not in professional ministry. He's just a guy being used by God. He's a business owner who sees his business as ministry. He loves God and he runs this big farm. He's got a lot of employees. He kind of has the food bank on the side, but he's just got his eyes open. He's got his ears open to hear about people, to look for people that God puts in his path. Why? So he can be generous. So he can bless them. So he can be safe for them. He can be encouraging to them. He can point them to God. Telling you right now, if Christina and I would ever have another kid, Boaz, I'm going to plant the seed for my grandkids right now. I want a Boaz in my family. As we close, let me plant this seed. We said last week this is a love story, okay? 
And, and in a couple weeks, it's going to be a, a Rindersella type love story for Ruth and Boaz. But, but I don't want us to get caught up in the human love story part, because if we do, we might miss the much bigger love story. Got to keep this in the back of our mind as we read Ruth. This is about how God loves his people. This is about how God provides and protects his people. He wants us to take refuge under his wings. So Ruth here in this story, she's, she's a type. She's an example of us, of God's people, of anyone, anywhere who professes faith in Christ. Initially, she felt excluded, right? But Ruth was included. She descended from a bad family. She descended from Lot and from the Moabites. But if you think about it, we all descended from a bad family. <laughs> Every one of us, our great, 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 however many times great-grandparents are Adam and Eve. We came from a bad family. And the moment we profess faith, we're included. We're in. The faith is what we need. We can't earn our way. We can't earn our salvation. We have to get it like Ruth got her provision. We glean it from the Lord because he is good. So Ruth gives us this picture of who we are. And then we have this great picture of Boaz. And he's the picture of how God operates. He's that example. In our story, Boaz shows the love. Boaz does the providing and protecting. Boaz is the one who comes and puts his wings over Ruth. He showers blessings on her that she didn't earn. That just shows us how God deals with us. Because we know he loves us so much that he sent his son to do what? (laughs) Pay the penalty for something we couldn't possibly cover on our own. He died in my place. He died in sinful man's place to pay that penalty for sin. Why? So that we can return. So we can be reconciled back to the relationship he wants to have with us. That's the backdrop for Ruth. Don't forget that as we move forward, okay? It's a fun study, and and man, I'm enjoying doing it with you guys. God bless you. I sure do love you. Let's pray. Daddy, help us to not lose that big picture of what's going on in this story. It's a phenomenal little love story, and we're going to see Ruth and Boaz end up together. That's, that's going to be great. But, but do we see the bigger picture? Boaz coming in and providing that example of how you love us, how you provide for us. Ruth providing that example of, of professing faith and then being active in her faith and seeing you work. God, help us to do that in such a way where we can be Boaz, we can be observant for people who we could comfort, encourage, say kind words to, be generous towards. And God, again, help us to do it like Boaz, where we don't want any of the credit. We, we just continually point to you because you are so worthy. God, we love you and we praise you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to give to our ministry, please check out our website at lewistonocc.org. And don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast, as well as our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, so you're always up to date with what's going on here at Orchards Community Church. Take care, and God bless.